0: We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm through That's uh, No Roth this week. Again, I do have to apologize. We've been out all summer doing summer things, but don't worry about that. We'll often be back next week. In the meantime, though, it is time, and here's the singing voice. It's time to your us to the college football season and to help me break down uh, the AP Top 25 and the state of college football itself. Is the appropriately named Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus? Hi, Eric. How are you, man?
1: Uh, I'm doing well, Drew. Uh, I'm excited uh, tomorrow for the. As somebody who went to the University of Nebraska Lincoln, I'm erasing last. I'm erasing last week from my memory. I'm really excited for the official start uh, of college football this week. Uh,
0: you know, let's, let's talk about that game because so so. Just to give everyone some background, the college football season sort of had a soft launch last weekend, as it does every year right before Labor Day. It's only until the Labor Day weekend uh, when they bust out uh, the top 25 teams uh, to play each other, and and college football season like really officially gets underway. But prior to that, Eric, I had the pleasure of watching your Cornhuskers blow a, uh, a lead to Northwestern in Dublin. Oh, top of the morning to you. And it was just, it was, it was fabulous television. I, I do have to tell you, and I, I'm sorry to tell you that. How, how did you feel watching that game? Yeah, this is the
1: second consecutive year that the Cornhuskers lost a week zero game. And yes, week zero is there for all of our algorithms to make sure that they're working. Um, that's all it really is for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second consecutive year, they lost to a bad Big Ten team in week zero. Last year was Illinois. At least they were on the road there. They were on the road this time. It was a neutral site. Um, my my colleague and I were in Vegas, uh, and as a good Cornhuskers fan, I had a Northwestern plus 12 ticket in my pocket. Uh, and when they blew – now, the, the Nebraska Cornhuskers are such a privilege. They blew a, an 11-point lead and lost the first half of the game. And then they blew a separate 11 point lead and lost the full game. Um, I went up to the counter and I said, I'd like Nebraska live, please. So I tried for that middle and I said, you know, the motto of the, uh, the Scott Frost era is, well, it's just your money. Uh, so, and, and that, that's how it sort of uh, went down. Um, Casey Thompson played okay, I guess, for him. Uh, but uh, that defense, uh, you know, the black shirts uh, have long been dead. Uh, and they were certainly not resurrected on Saturday.
0: How uh, how many games do you give Scott Frost before they finally bury him alive in a
1: cornfield? I mean, Scott Frost is going to be riding for the thirty third team at some point in November. don't you think? Like he's, uh, I figured. You know, I tweeted out when they punted down four that he just punted away his American citizenship that they would just leave him <laughs> in in, in <laughs> Ireland. Uh, and of course, that defense, which was just marshmallow soft. Uh, gave up just a bunch of runs and were allowed you know didn't really uh you know give themselves a chance but yeah i i don't give frost very long i think the hard part in college football though is like you know you plan a whole season with that coach and then they come out flat you don't have a preseason you don't you aren't really sort of like acclimated to what the season's going to be like and you know that you come out flat and it's like what do you even do with your hands now like it's like uh, you face U- University of North Dakota, which was a division two team when I was in college. Uh, you know, hopefully they can beat them. Um, but even then, like what what does success look like this year for Nebraska? I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's it's so weird to me because I grew up with Nebraska being being dominant. And with Frost winning a, a national title that I really do not. Uh, as a lapsed Michigan fan, I do not honor. I do. I As far as I'm concerned, Michigan won the title that year. and Nebraska didn't. But like, it's such an NFL mistake to me that Nebraska was like, yeah, I guess we'll keep him around for like another year when it was clear that that was the most he was going to get, right? Because already like he 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 was bad all throughout his Nebraska tenure. Like his biggest stat is like how many of his offensive linemen barfed in practice. Like he was he proved himself to be a shitty coach and now they've not only wasted a year, but like when you waste a year in the NFL, all right, you can hire like a new GM. You can get Friedens in right away when you waste a year in college football, like, it has a ripple effect. Like, it fucks you way past that year because of recruiting, because of your general reputation. Nebraska's reputation was already in the fucking toilet. So is there any way that they can get out of this in any way and be, like, a, like if not at least a good college football team, a
1: respectable one at the very least? I don't know, man. I, I mean, I think it's a long road. And as you said, like, if you are committed to losing a coach you have to just cut bait because as you said, you're, it, there are, it's a lag, it lags for a while. Like this next coach that comes in after him there, he's going to be dealing with Scott Frost recruits for a number of, diff, a number of years now, NIL right. being what it is. Uh, and, you know, we at PFF, we have, uh, you know, 130 college football clients. And so, you know, we sort of help them with the transfer portal. I, I can tell you that it is th- these players are going to recycle quickly I think that the problem becomes for a team like Nebraska, you know, in the 90s when they won three national championships, it was one of those things where every kid from that region wanted to go there, sit on the bench for three years, play two years, and win a national title. And now you're
0: Right, they had like—I remember the mythical sort of walk-on program they had, right, where it was like, oh my God, no D1 team has more walk-ons in this program. Meanwhile, I remember— that one of the reasons they won all those titles was, yes, they had homegrown talent, particularly in the offensive line, but then it was Tom Osborne's idea to be like, look, we have to find fucking athletes for this team, and he went out of Nebraska, and would bring guys from Florida and from Texas to Nebraska, and that's something that, like, Oklahoma can still do. I don't know why Nebraska can't do likewise. It's not like living in Norman is, like, fun for everybody.
1: Well, offenses are so I think that the 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 omen is that the closer you are to the ball, the easier the sorry, the harder it is to play early on, the further away from the ball, like wide receivers, you know, the athletes kind of the easier it is to play right away. And, you know, 30 years ago, there were like what five college football games on TV a year. So if you wanted to get exposure, you had to go to one of the big programs. Now, if you're if you're a wide receiver, do you want to go to nebraska and sit for two years if you're not or do you want to go to usf and play right away and possibly get you know good tape and stuff like that i think that the winds of change have moved all against nebraska um and then that doesn't and then it doesn't help that you know it's a small town in the middle of you know that that stadium you know memorial field when it's filled is the third biggest city in the state of nebraska so
0: i hear that stat and and so yeah
1: it's it's that's where it gets tricky. So I think that there's the next person that's going to come in is going to have to think progressively about how to use NIL. They're going to have to think, uh, you know, forwardly about, you know, sort of how to get talent there. Because right now, I mean, they are they're, they're worlds away from where Ohio State and Michigan is. And even, you know, pretty far away from where the Wisconsin's and Iowa's are, frankly. Or Northwestern, apparently. Yeah, Northwestern, apparently. They're, they're at least four points away from Northwestern. That's what we know definitively.
0: We have uh, unfortunately talked way too much about Nebraska to open up this program. I wanted to go uh, I want to blow out for just a moment as we go into what will be week one and no longer week zero uh, we're right in the middle of an institutional overhaul and I know it feels like college football is always in the middle of an institutional overhaul because it is but the SEC the Big Ten they're pretty much eating up every other conference. Do you see an end game to this you know like 2025 sometime past that where will only have two power conferences left in, you know, five years from now? One? Like, do you see there being a resolution to this, or is college football so inherently corrupt and messy that there's really no way that this will sort it out, be sorted out neatly?
1: Uh, That's a good question. I think college football is very, very popular on the regional level. So you're, you know, and the NFL is far more popular, but also – you know, it's different. The fan bases are different, as, as you probably know, as a content creator, yeah, like of course. it's just extremely hard to, to apply uh, logic from the NFL to college. So, you know, I think that you're still going to have you're I think you're going to have like one or two mega conferences. And then unfortunately, I think that the, the power five conferences that cannot keep up financially. And this is when I say financially, I mean like NIL boosters, uh, they they can't win these these money wars. You know, think about like UConn or or, or uh, Rutgers and like you know. Uh, I
0: think about both those programs yeah, all the time. You know, programs
1: like that that are Power Five teams, but not Power Five football. Right? They're they're right, probably they going to fall off a little bit and be in more of like I think. You know, it's not going to be Group of Five. It's not going to be called Group of Five, but it's going to be it's going to be kind of on the the level of FCS at some point. Like I think that you're going to see a bifurcation of you know the two big conferences. They're probably going to amount to maybe forty to sixty teams, and then every and there's probably like forty to sixty teams that'll be kind of Division One, but you know, kind of thought about as FCS programs, and then everybody else in college football is you know FCS or low. All we have to
0: do is steal from college basketball and call them mid majors from now on, and we mm-hmm. can just do that. And
1: it'll, yeah, they, it'll, you be- know, but it's just hard because you're not, yeah, yeah, it's just hard because unlike with basketball, you know, you're not going to be able to build a playoff structure that's going to be, it, it's going to include the mid majors. So there's going to be a legitimate dis- distancing of the schools that matter and the schools that don't. And, and that's maybe fine because right now, like we'll talk about this probably in a second, but like right now, the fifth, best team in the country per the eight people is a 17 and a half point underdog against the second best team in the country. So there's a, there's a distance anyway, between the teams, the haves and the haves not, I think it's just going to be, the gap is going to widen as we, as we see college football uh, become more consolidated at the top.
0: Well, the other thing is that you, you mentioned the regionalization of it and I believe that I, I think that the NFL and college football have different, um, sort of, you know, fan bases, but there's also a culture to it that's, yes. there's a culture difference to it, and with the, you know, it's clear to me that college football is essentially nfl itself, right, we'll eventually have, whatever, whenever two conferences are left standing, it'll be like, you know, like 30 teams, you know, or, or 32, if we really want to be, like, you know, uh, if we really want to be, you know, sort of uh, s- symmetric about it, right, Um but then, you know, you. it is possible that when you do that, it'll make for a better television product. I, th- I think it will. But then you lose the sort of um, the local flavor of a place like, you know, like I, I hate using Old Miss as an example, but I, they're just the one that, you know, sort of came to mind right away. Like those, those places that have their own sort of unique traditions and their, you know, unique sort of tailgate environments and stuff like that, as those teams become – even less relevant than they are like nobody's going to mistake Ole Miss for being like a powerhouse or anything like that. But they would, you know, like they were always good for like an upset of Bama once every five years and shit like that. If that, you know, ceases to be the case, then, you know, I, I'm, I wonder if the culture of the sport will suffer as a result. And I don't, you know, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. What do you, do you sense anything on that end?
1: I, I do actually. I, I mean, I think the the problem, and and again, you know, we're in this we're in the content creation business. To, you know, and and you know, when we think about you know how to sell product to NFL fans, it's different, right? Like people fall in love with players. People fall in love with their fantasy team, and and like this has evolved over time to the point where you know, like you think about sports betting and fantasy football. Like the average consumer of the NFL watches like three or four times more games than they did you know 20 years ago when they watched 16 games a year their their home market team um there are certainly college football fans who are junkies and will watch every single game they'll start at 11 a.m. and they'll they'll finish at you know with Hawaii uh, at midnight or whatever but you know there are significant part you know significant sports fans who just watch their favorite team on Saturdays and if you try to to the point you're saying where it's like maybe 16 to 30 to 40 teams I think what they're going to be trying to go after is an nfl of college football, which is we all fall in love with the players. We all fall in love with the personalities. We all fall in love with the narratives and all that kind of stuff. But I think, unfortunately, the, the um, attention span of the average American, they have one day a week for that, right? They have one day a week. Right. They, have, they have NFL. And like college football is for the real degenerates like me and you to watch college football and stuff like that. For the average fan, I just don't think you're going to be able to gin up the the type of attention for two days a week of that kind of thing, especially because it's not two days of the same thing. It's two times as much stuff to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, when I was in college, I could do it. I could do the I could do the Hawaii game at night because I would be just completely shit faced anyway, and I'd be like, "Oh, there's football still on! Bye!" We're gonna be so excited and like now. If you told me I'd just say. I'd, until 11 to watch the kickoff of a football game for a shit team in the fucking, in wherever. I don't even know what conference Hawaii played. Yeah, the the Mountain
1: West. I mean, if you get beat, if you let, uh, if you let Vanderbilt put up 60 on you, um, I'm not sure anybody is obligated to watch you play.
0: To that end, uh, let's talk about the actual football shit now. Is there any reason for me to believe uh, that this season will end any different from every other season past where, Bama either wins the title game or they lose it to a program that really isn't that much more likable than they are.
1: I think it's hard. Um, when you look at, you know, sort of Georgia lost a lot of players. I mean, you look at that defense had five or Not, five or six first start. round picks in and of itself, oh God. the quarterback, you know, so I was, I was on a podcast recently where they asked, you know, could the best college football team beat the the worst NFL team? And like the answer is No. Um, right. the only way that it could happen is, you know, if you possibly squint and look at that LSU team that had two wide receivers and a quarterback, this Georgia team didn't have that. They had Stetson Bennett, who was kind of that traditional college football, like the Ken Dorsey type that could win a title yes. on the backs of a lot of great players around him. Those players weave, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't know if they're quite as strong, um, you know, we give them, you know, a decent shot of making the college Bowl play up about 64%, but it's below Alabama. If you look at Ohio State, it's going to be, you know, CJ Stroud's pretty solid, but they lose two wide receivers that were both first-round picks uh, in in Wilson and Olave. They do have Jackson Ajigba, who's very good, and they they have guys who are beneath him that are, are amazing as well. Michigan lost, you know, both of their edge players in Ajavo and Hutchinson. Uh, they lost yeah. to Sonny Baskins, one of the running backs, Bell, one of the wide receivers. And so I think – those are the competitors. You look at Clemson last season, their quarterback played so horrifically that they couldn't score, you know, in the twenties in some games uh, that they should have. And, and the fifth ranked team in the country is Notre Dame, a team that I don't even think Notre Dame believes they're that good. Right. And, and, no. and so I, that's where
0: sort of the fun of Notre Dame right now is that like, they're like perpetually overrated and I get to watch that like manifest yeah. itself
1: when they get their ass just fucking handed to them. But, but who, <laughs> the who's the better than them? Like you want to say Oklahoma who just lost their coach and their quarterback. You look at like Texas A. M and as the, I believe, sixth ranked team in the country. Uh, maybe um, you, you can squint and look at them, you know, as a solid team, but we only give them 7.8 wins uh, because they have the 18th hardest schedule in all of college football. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is a, is ranked in the top 20. They lose like, their best wide receiver and their best quarterback in Kenny Pickett, who is a first round pick. You know, you look at Utah, I think Utah's a house with, with Tavion Thomas and uh, you know, at, at running back and that defense and how they really pummeled, uh, you know, Oregon, but you, they get into a game with Ohio state and, and even big 10 athletes were making them look slow, you know, in that bowl game, the, the Rose bowl. So I don't, I know the, an, the answer to your question is no, I think it's Alabama's should be the favorite against the field. And and the SEC, whether it's Georgia or Alabama, should be the easy favorite against the field to win the college football playoff. Uh, and maybe it should be that way every year.
0: I mean, maybe it will. I, I do think that at some point, I, I'm i sure it's not this season, but certainly I think by as soon as next season, uh, that Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams at USC will make USC USC again. And I think that there is a distinct possibility that Jimbo Fisher, because of his recruiting classes, will make a m something bigger than a ms ever been. But it does seem like that is still all uh, in transition and we're not going to get to that point, you know, for for another year or two. And then I don't know, this, is, this leads to another question I have for you. Do you believe that NIL will have really any tangible impact on the hierarchy of these teams competitively? I know that like Deonna Jackson State is paying a shitload, you know, to players to get them into the fold you know, and stuff like that. But I, I don't believe that Jackson State's going to be like a top 10 team anytime soon or anything like that.
1: I think NIL is going to – it's going to reinforce how important it is to have quarterback in, in football. And and I think we all over – we glossed over it in college because, you know, you, you think about every other position in football is a weak link system, right? So you look at defensive backs – um, when you face a good team, you can't have a weak. De- you can't have one weak link in your defensive backfield um, because the quarterback's not going to look at your best corner and throw at him all day. He's going to look at your worst corner and throw at him all day. Offensive line right. is the same thing. Like the these defensive coordinators will line up their best defensive players. I remember Javon Clowney lining up over guards when he was at USC. Um,
0: yeah, I, I remember the result of that.
1: And, and the problem is with NIL is that you can't ensure that these blue blood programs have strong weak links anymore, because not only do these teams, I was actually talking to uh, one of these, you know, what top five team in in college football, uh, when they, when they visited for a consulting trip, it was like, they have to recruit their own guys. Right. So if you, let's say you recruit five great offensive linemen and they all work out, that's awesome. The job isn't done. You got to recruit them for all four years. They're with you. And and you're going to be happy. Yeah, you're going to be unsuccessful at that because um, it's not even like the NFL, right? The NFL, if you get somebody under contract, they, you know, the rookie deal, you have control over them, and and college football, it's 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 the wild west. So the the only strong link position in the entire in the entire football universe is quarterback. And so once these teams start figuring out that it's a fool's errand to try to build 21 amazing starters because you're always going to lose them and you're always going to have people, you know, perform worse than you expected or leave. Um, It's going to all land on the quarterback. And so when you think about Lincoln Riley in USC, like their defense is horrendous. I mean, and I don't know if they're going to get there defensively, but the one thing they didn't figure out is, you know, Caleb Williams is a star quarterback and, and, and all that matters is, you know, There are going to be games that you lose, and and but look like Alabama was a one loss. There was a bunch of one loss teams in the College Football Playoff last year. Like you don't have to be perfect anymore. And if you have a quarterback that can play high end football, you're going to have a chance. So I think that that's what NIL is going to do. It's going to create that bidding war for these quarterbacks because you're just not going to be able to compete by by like trying to be what Georgia was last year which is a, which was a team that had 22 really good players. Uh, I just don't think that right. that's feasible anymore.
0: Well, the other thing is that I I feel as if NIL and I remember Nick Saban saying something to this effect where he he said, you know, you're going to have thanks to NIL, you're going to have teams essentially, you know, put a stranglehold on players and on recruiting classes entirely. And someone noted, well Saban wasn't sounding concerned there. He was essentially issuing a warning. And I, I took it the same way where, thanks to nil, if you know if a handful if like two dozen teams can consolidate the talent, and then not only that, um, it's a more it's more manageable from a fantasy standpoint, and you can use those players now for fantasy football because of nil laws, right? So like you will be able to play you know DFS and fantasy more in a more familiar sort of NFL style way with these players, and that will only consecrate or, or that will only sort of, um, consolidate where they, the pool of places that they're, they're going to go to, because those are the places they're going to be recognized and sort of get the most for value or get the most money playing for.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and you even see it in the, in the, um, landscape of, you know, uh, legality, right? So like I, I play DFS, I play college DFS, um, and, I live in Ohio. It's, it's illegal to play college DFS in Ohio. It's illegal to play oh my college, God. college DFS in uh-huh. Indiana. It's legal in Kentucky. Um, and I think that there are issues with amateurism that are causing people to be wary about, like, for example, you can't bet you, you go to army Navy. Uh, you cannot bet in New Jersey on that game because the game's being played in New Jersey. Like there are, there are tons of issues of amateurism and you know, the growing of the sport through gaming because they're worried about amateurism. I think that goes out of the, you know, that gets thrown out the window with NIL um, fairly quickly. And so your point, like that might be a way out for, you know, this sport because it might, you know, we might like loosen the restrictions there and make it more popular. Right. You know, if if people can start, you know, betting and playing fantasy more freely on these players and these teams uh, then maybe the sport grows in popularity. Maybe that helps curb some of the the risk that you're talking about, which is, you know, the the losing of the the, the uh of some of the teams and the the conferences and the you know the rivalries and everything that we come we we've come so accustomed to loving.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is that um you know I should note that news has already broken out that um that the people in charge of the playoff have already talked about uh, divorcing themselves from the NCAA, and they haven't done it yet. But once that report comes out, you know, it's it's like a matter of time sort of thing. So, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, that will come sooner rather than later. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come right back to preview the college football season with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus. And we're back with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus focus. We're breaking down the college football season for 2022. Uh, I want to go back to Georgia uh, for a moment, uh, Eric, because that was, you know, I, I don't know what your metrics say, but it, it was easily one of the best college defenses I ever saw a year ago, perhaps the best ever, you know, on par with the LSU offense that came a couple years prior. Is Georgia at the level now because Kirby Smart runs that program the same way Saban runs Bama. They, they copied that professional model. And it seems like other schools are going to have the resources and the will to do likewise, particularly a and I feel like A&M and USC are are on that track. But is Georgia itself now at the level where they can lose eight starters on that defense and just keep it rolling with new studs going in? Can they just reload like it's nothing the way Bama does when they lose first-rounders?
1: I don't think so. I mean, like I said, I think defense okay. is, is so weak-linked that you, you, almost, you almost have to have the perfect storm that Georgia had last season to – especially when your quarterback play has never been elite, right? Um, right. To to have that kind of dominant season. They had a 94.3 PFF grade defensively. They had over 90 PFF grade in run defense, pass rush, and coverage altogether. They were the only team in college football that had that distinction last season. And again, like, it's not just eight starters. It's, you know, I, and I think a lot about these things in terms of betting. You're basically betting an 11-team parlay when you when you think about, I, you know, when you, when you say we need to have elite level defense to win, it's an 11 team parlay when, when you're trying to win with great quarterback play, which is kind of where Alabama sneakily. And I know, you know, they had two first round draft pick quarterbacks of late and they're going to have a third one here pretty soon, but that's kind of where Alabama has changed their tone and become even more of a, a fixture in college football at the very top, which is to say, They've stopped essentially saying, "Hey, we need to have the best defense. We need to have the best offensive line. We need to have the best total team." They've transitioned into a, "No, we need to have an elite NFL caliber quarterback that can cover the multitude of sins that can happen on a on a college football team." Georgia, yeah,
0: because it didn't used to be that way with Saban, and Saban wasn't even that way at, at LSU. Right. We, I think he had he coached Jamarcus Russell, but like I don't remember Jamarcus Russell being all that impressive. But they want to they want to
1: college football. football championship i believe with matt flynn at quarterback like this is
0: it was you know, matt mock if i recall um yeah i don't think
1: in either I, event right like it, it, it he wasn't it
0: he, was a pud it was either way yeah
1: he didn't put. have peyton manning right and and you know two is a top five pick you know mac jones is a top 15 pick was a candidate to be a top five pick you know uh bryce young is going to be maybe the first pick overall if not the second this this next coming year like and, and that covers up the fact that you look at Bama's defense in 2020 and that team, I mean, they were giving up 30, 40 points to teams like Ole Miss at times, but they were scoring 60, you know, and then, and, that, right. and that really, you know, helps you thread the needle. When Georgia struggled containing Jamison Williams, both in the SEC title game and in the the championship game, they were trailing, right, because their, their offense could not keep up with high level offense. And, you know, they they, I think, owe their college football, you know, championship last year to a Jamison Williams knee injury. Um, and, and you know, that's how hard it is to win football in general, but also college football even with you know high-level defensive play. Now they come in and they have to they have to layer in eight new players, right? At all levels of that defense. Lewis seen is you know, at the safety position, both line, you know, Quay Walker, uh, as well as as uh um you know uh the, the kobe, the kobe and jordan Dean, davis you know, all after he passed the second round i forgot his name uh jordan davis trayvon walker like all those guys you know are just superstars there's gonna be starters in the nfl this year yep you know layering in the you know not only have to replace those bodies but you have to replace their production and the interconnectedness of the defense which is which is a, a you know a difficult thing it's not just the sum of the parts uh on that side of the football
0: I want to talk about uh, Bryce Young for a second and C.J. Stroud because both of them are not only the Heisman frontrunners, but I, I think that they are projected, if not now, they will be projected as going one and two at the top of the draft in the spring. In your opinion, are, or I shouldn't say your opinion, according to your like, research, do you think those guys are that good or is there like sort of a form of bamflation at work where they are elevated in stature because of the talent surrounding them?
1: Uh, well, I think the talent around them helps, helps show how good they are. Right. Like, I think that like, that's, and, and that's the truly hard part about this evaluation. You look at like, you know, we look at the NFL right now, like Skylar Thompson made the, the dolphins 53 uh, Brock Purdy made the San Francisco 49ers 53. These guys were not that productive at college football, right? Like in fact, Brock Purdy declined in, in a lot of his efficiency and his effectiveness over time at Iowa State, he was, he was honestly better um, when he was, you know, earlier in his career. You know, Justin Herbert at Oregon had a better sophomore year than he had a junior or senior year. Um, when you when you play for these elite programs, what it does is it, it continues to to let the cream rise to the top as far as talent is concerned. Um, you know, when Mac jo- Matt Jones allowed us all to see at Alabama in 2020 what he was going to become in the NFL. Um, whereas with other guys, it's more of a projection, right? It's more of a projection for a, a Brock Purdy or more of a projection for Skylar Thompson. And, 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 so when I look at like, you know, you know, Bryce Young, when I look at CJ Stroud, the, the second and, or third and fourth highest graded quarterbacks last year behind Grayson McCall and Kenny Pickett, um, per PFF grades, I, I just look and say, okay, this guy, these guys are going to be low turnover guys. They're going to be high, uh, explosiveness guys. And, you know, the, the offense that they're in the wide receivers that they're allowed to play with the the offensive lines and the, the, the advantage that they have at the line of scrimmage that just allows us to see how good these guys are. Both guys, I think do a good job. You know, we we talk as far as reads and stuff like that. I think Stroud may be a little bit stiff as far as, you know, moving from progression one to progression two, much like Justin Fields was. Um, So, you know, there's, there's certainly not perfect prospects now and you want to see some things from them this year, but they are, you know, they, they're deserving of that number one and two distinction, in my opinion.
0: That's really interesting because I tend, as a fan, I tend to have that knee-jerk reaction. And perhaps because I lived through, like, Chris Wenke and, like, Gino Toretta winning Heismans, where it's like, oh, well, they just, you know, they just rode their teammates' co- coattails to greatness, and now that's why they're good. Whereas the opposite argument is, if I can see a guy actually make the most of the talent around him, that says a lot more than the fact that he has that talent around him. So I I, I like that sort of – I like that way of looking at it. And now I'm going to, like, sit here and get all horny for my team to, like, draft, draft Bryce Young next spring and all that. Uh, I want to stay on the quarterback thing, and I want to ask you about Clemson because you just said um, that Clemson had terrible quarterbacking last year. And, of course, they were spoiled by great quarterbacking prior to that with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Is Clemson a program – that needs an NFL quarterback to make Dabo's bullshit work? Or can they become a powerhouse regardless? I feel like you've answered this question in another forum already, but I really just want to ask you about what Clemson's prospects are, as they are still a top-five team, but did not play like it a year ago.
1: Yeah, there. I mean, there were some, I think, personal issues with DJ Uyongalele. So, like, that was a, a – because when he came in and played against Notre Dame in 2020 – um he was very impressive i know they didn't win that game but you know he was very impressive and you know he had you know and there was a lack of pressure on him that i think he felt last year in week 1 they don't even score a touchdown against georgia so that that you know he was bad last year i mean he was a below replacement level college quarterback and you know i i think it's going to be tough. He's lost some weight. Um, I think that they're going to run him more because they're frankly not afraid of him getting hurt if he's not actually a good player anyway. Like, so <laughs> I, I think that there's like a little, there's going to be a little bit there. Their defense was fantastic last year and they lost a few players, but, um, but you know, and, and one to your Vikings and Andrew Booth Jr. Who I'm not sure uh, is going to last very long, but, uh, but he'll, he'll, hey. he'll, he'll uh, you know, but there, in my opinion, I, you know, they're always going to have a chance um, because the ACC is weak. Um, and when when a team in the ACC pops up, it's because of fantastic quarterback play, and usually that fantastic quarterback play goes away quickly. You see that with Pittsburgh and, and Kenny Pickett as you know this past year. You saw it with um, uh, Howell from you know, NC uh, a couple years ago. You know, chances are Clemson's going to have a good enough defense to at least win the ACC. Um, it, it just depends. Their 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 high-end ability is going to pe- depend upon DJ Lungalele's ability uh, to make plays.
0: All right. Let me give you uh, four more questions before we get to the stupid stuff. First of all, will the Pac-12 get a team into the playoff before it dies?
1: No. There's no incentive okay. to do it anymore. There's no incentive to <laughs> placate the folks in the Pac-12 because it's just not going to be there anymore. Right? Um, and frankly, like you said, USC, I could see that. Um, but – you know, Lincoln Riley always – I mean, th- this guy lost to Kansas State like two years in a row. So, like, this guy's not immune to to blowing – you know, having a good team and blowing a perfect season. Um, I just don't think that there's going to be a team that goes undefeated out of the Pac-12, and I don't think college football feels obligated to give a non-perfect team out of that conference a, a berth. I mean, they had – they were trying their best last year. They put Oregon third in the country uh, for a time, even though they were terrible, and they had lost right. to Stanford. And they got you know the, they got shown they got I mean they got shown the world by Utah twice. Um,
0: yeah, they got annihilated. And, by and
1: so, like, I think that people are like people tried their their darnest last year to put a Pac twelve team in the in the playoff, and I think they maybe learned their lesson of just like don't you don't have to you don't have to uh, you know negotiate with this conference.
0: Uh, it's six p.m. on a fall Saturday, and I'm already stoned off my ass. Which mid level team? Would I be happy to see playing in that time slot? Who are the fun, shitty teams, Eric?
1: Well, I'm a big fan of the, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers.
0: Clears. Um, oh, they're fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you
1: have the you have the field which is teal, right? You have yep. the um, you have the quarterback Grayson McCall who's back for another year. He's using all of those COVID years to his advantage. Uh, you have that that kind of fun, like you know, wi- like the modern wishbone kind of offense, which. You don't really see you. The thing about college football, if you're going to commit to it, you have to commit to the novelty of it because most of these quarterbacks suck. Most of these coaches will kick field goals down four at the two minute warning. Most of, you know, most of these things are horrible. Um, it, you have to go after the novelty and, and coastal gives you the novelty. In fact, I think they're down. They, the market thinks they're down a little bit this year. You, if you want to place a wager, I think over seven and a half on the Chanticleers is a good bet uh, coming this fall.
0: It's free money. I mean, how can you not take it? I uh, I have a weird uh, affinity for Kansas State that I cannot explain. But if I well, you're a Vikings fan, and they're
1: somewhat purple, and the uniforms kind of look the same to back when you were a kid. So I get it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just feel like they they play fun games a lot. That might be like more of a Big Twelve sort of thing. Like if it's between a random like Big Twelve game and a random Big Ten game, I know which conference I'm picking. Like it's not it's not particularly close. for me, uh, which team do I want to do the, the converse of that, which teams right now should I hate, which I currently do not yet. And I'm not talking about like aesthetics, like, you know, like I hate Notre Dame for all the usual Notre Dame reasons, but like what teams will have a stultifying, just sort of deadening effect on my soul. If I watch them take the field and why are they in the big 10?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, It's hard. Like Wisconsin's obviously the team that, you know, they have the big running back that they bring in out of state every year to go with the the corn fed kids from Waukesha blocking for him. Um, That that's always like, uh, you know, that that's a team where you're just like, look, if you could find there's, there's 49 States in this country, you can find a quarterback for God's sakes. Like, I think that that's the that's always a team that frustrates me in Wisconsin um, I was I was plucky. They'll beat teams they are not supposed to beat in sort of egregious ways. Um, so whether or not you like that is is, uh, you know, up to you. Um, no, I fucking hate watching. Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I think. Yeah, it's a lot of Big Ten teams, man. They're all and then the one that I can't get over. And this is this is rough for me because I'm friends with uh, Sage Rosenfels who's probably the best quarterback to come out of this. This uh, this college, but Iowa State makes me want to pluck my eyes out every time I watch them.
0: Oh, poor Sage. Uh, speaking of uh, quarterbacks, what quarterbacks besides Stroud and Young should I look out for? Who are going to be? You know, they don't have to be surprise Heisman contenders. I'm just talking about quarterbacks who are fun to watch, straight up. Yeah, Grayson McCall
1: is the one out of out of Coastal uh, last season. He averaged 11.8 yards per pass attempt. Uh, Average depth of target was 10.3 yards. You love quarterbacks that when they throw, they throw downfield, right? They care uh, about right. about producing big plays. Uh, 23 touchdowns, three interceptions. He he's coming back again for another year. And obviously, I just talked about him. Um, he's moving on from Oklahoma to USC. You know, one of the first high profile. Uh, transfers, But, uh, you know, you, you have Caleb Williams out of Oklahoma, nine yards for pass attempt last year, 91.3 PFF grade, uh, just four interceptions to go with 21 touchdowns. He, uh, to me, it's gonna be fun to see because again, the entire fate I think of the PAC 12 rests on his shoulders.
0: Uh, let's get on to remembering a guy every week, Eric, we remember an athlete of your, not a great one, just one who was a guy that maybe you haven't thought about in a while. And I particularly enjoy playing this game with college athletes. Like I remember guys like Anthone Lott and stuff like that. That like, I remember like we tried to, we tried to do it. Like we tried to do it at a live show uh, in Nashville once. And I remembered like a bunch of nineties college athletes, but like the, the audience, mm, they were, they were younger. They had no idea who any of these fucking guys were, but you look to be about my age. So I'm going to I'm going to toss out a guy of the week for you, a college athlete. You're Karsten Bailey. Do you remember Karsten Bailey, Eric eager?
1: I, okay. Let me get the, the, this Google machine. No, but no, ah,
0: no, that's that. Then you then you will have been cheating. So that's okay. You don't have to remember Carson. But are there any college uh, college football players you enjoy remembering? So every and this things? this guy's
1: known more for what he does at Texas than what he did at Texas than with the Steelers. But every time I see a Steelers wide receiver in the preseason wearing number fourteen, I always think of one because his name, in my opinion, is hilarious, Linus Swede.
0: Yeah, Linus Swede. Oh, he was such a shitty NFL player. But that I mean. <laughs> What are you gonna do? Yeah, he was he was a fucking badass at Texas. I remember, like, there was that stretch when Texas would have guys like Ricky Williams and Priest Holmes and just like insane athletes. They would never did anything with them until like Vince Young came along. But it was always fun to see kick ass athletes, uh, uh, in Texas doing Texas shit, like James Brown at quarterback and mm-hmm. shit like that. That was fun. Uh, let's open up the fun bag. We'll do one fun bag question and then we'll kick out. Uh, it's from Steven. He writes in, what's a bad team you wish would be good? A bad team, Eric, you wish would be good. You can choose a college football team. You don't have to limit yourself to college football if you don't like.
1: Uh, well, the easy one is my alma mater, the Nebraska Oscars, but I'll throw that one out.
0: Yeah, yeah, no homerism, no homers. No, no yeah.
1: homers. Um, okay, here's one, because uh, I like the mascot. I like the colors. I like the city that they're in. The two lane green wave.
0: Oh, that would be cool. That would be cool for, and they do. They play on a. Do they play on a blue field? No, you know but the they green play wave? in
1: one of the great cities in our country, right? Like they, you know, that is. Uh, uh, New Orleans is fantastic. Uh, their mascot, if you look at their mascot, it's like this green wave with a white top. Yeah. Uh, sh- I
0: I love that. I love that. I love that cartoon. It's like where the wave is just pissed. Like, yeah. ah, I'm going to wave you. Exactly. <laughs> I I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you have this affliction that I have. And I've, I've written about it before where um, I have a, a, a weird primal need to see, like, some of the 90s great teams, like Colorado, come back. And, like, mm-hmm. like, like, like 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 it would be fun if Georgia Tech were good again. And even the U. Like, I hated the U for a long time. But now I'm like, ah, I wish the U would be back and, like, they were back for, like, five seconds when they had the turnover chain, and then they just fell right back into shit. So I have that uh, bit of affliction within me. But, like, my, uh, my need to see Nebraska be better again because I like the option offense so much. That has abated, uh, thanks to Scott Frost. It's not quite what it was. Um, do you have... Uh, I mean, I think you already answered this. I mean, I assume you think that Bama is winning the title no matter what. Do you have uh, any potential... Uh, spoilers, who would not be among the usual suspects of Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah, it, it's tough. Um, I would say the the team that I think could could possibly, I think Texas A&M has a bigger chance than maybe um, my simulation or, uh, you know, I like Jimbo Fisher. I like what they do from a sports science standpoint. This is nerdy kind of stuff, but I like what they do from a sports science and analytics standpoint um you know they they just somebody somebody you know they have to come out of nowhere as far as quarterback play and 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 defense and that kind of thing um and they need these these top teams in the sec to falter which i don't think the path is that far from georgia to be bad right like not bad but like not a top-end team the path for alabama that's going to be hard they're going to be a house um but on the on the flip side i think if it was a two-team sec college playoff again that would be when Bama was vulnerable. I don't think is vulnerable against a non-SEC team in the playoff. Okay,
0: all right. Uh, I also want to go uh, right back through the top 25 to see if there are any other potential contenders in there. You can tell me your gut reaction to any of them right off the bat. Like, what about Utah? They are the highest-ranked uh, Pac-12 team. You said that no Pac-12 team is going to make the playoff. Would Utah have any chance at all, or is that still just not? going to happen.
1: They have a chance. Uh it's just really hard. And I know that they have uh I believe the guy's name is uh Fine, the, the quarterback. He was pretty good last year um after taking over um their their running game defense. Like I just like again I, I'm i just you know firmly against and uh you know maybe this is my NFL bias, but I'm just like firmly against even if we saw it last year, this idea that you can win a college football playoff on the back of defense and and and, and running game especially if your defense and running game are in a conference different than the SEC.
0: What about the ransacked Oklahoma Sooners? How are they, they're still ranked ninth. And it seems to me now that, uh, you know, after, after we talked uh, that, you know, once you get past the top four and five, all the other rankings are essentially by default because none of these teams are particularly good, but there's no one better. Yeah.
1: You just have incumbency there. You have the fact that they have a, a relatively easy schedule compared to, Uh, most years. And, 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 you know, that, that's basically it. Right. Um, I believe you have Venables as the coach there. Like there, there's some, I think coach. Yeah. There's some, um, I think projection there, especially given how good his, his Clemson defenses were. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I think it's coming from. I don't like, like I said, after, I mean, the fifth ranked team in this country, uh, Notre Dame is 17 and a half point underdogs to the second ranked team in this country. So there's just humongous gap uh once you get past like the first two or three teams.
0: What about uh Oklahoma State? What uh what two critical games will they lose to render themselves irrelevant this year and not make the playoff? I feel like that happens every year.
1: Yeah, uh, we actually give them a two percent chance to win the college football playoff like that because because the you know the the path to winning the Big 12 is there, right? Um you know yes. They're their big favorites tomorrow against Central Michigan. I actually kind of like Central Michigan against the spread in that game. Um, but they go to Baylor. Uh, that's going to be a tough one. Baylor's ranked ahead of them, um, you know. But and then they go to Oklahoma. So they're two like you know higher ranked games, or both on the road. I think that that's really the tricky one for them.
0: Uh, last one uh, is Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati Bearcats. Luke Fickle, the rare Cincinnati head coach who didn't use Cincinnati as a stepping stone to a better job, or at least hasn't
1: yet. Uh, I think I think when things get really fair this year, he's going to um, – I think he's going to want to leave. <laughs> um, things have been so good here, you know, losing to Georgia, uh, you know, in the bowl game the previous year where they basically outplayed Georgia and then obviously making the college football playoff. I think everything came up nicely for him. I think if he has a year that's not quite as successful, I mean, we saw – you know, again, we we see guys like Josh Heupel leave UCF and so on and so forth. Like I think for for some of these non Power Five teams, now they will be Power Five soon. But non Power Five teams, like I think, once they start not having the success every year, that's when they start to get uh, happy feet.
0: Yeah, no, I could see that. Well, Eric, this was a fantastic preview of the college football season. I am now pumped and ready to watch some of the shitty college football. I can't wait. Brandon Nix and Chantel Holder are our producers. Nor Ritchie is our executive producer Our theme songs by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, wherever it is that you listen. And subscribe to Defector while you're at it. And, of course, go to Pro Football Focus, which I have found to be indispensable in my time covering the NFL. And it turns out college as well. So thank you, Eric Eager, for joining us. Come back on sometime, okay?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was fun. Yeah,
0: all right. That was awesome. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.